passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This Saturday, Post Wrestling turns five years old. Hey guys, it's Bruce Lord. John, Way, MJ from NJ here. I love Post Wrestling for its independence, its honesty, uh, and its credibility. You've always worked with integrity, always tried to deliver to your audience, always uh, doing things the right way. You guys have earned your reputation through well-researched work and good faith analysis, which is a very, very rare thing these days. I'll listen to you talk about paint dry if it comes to that, but I think we're going to have plenty to talk about over the next few years with wrestling. Congrats on five years, guys. Join us this Saturday at QXT's Nightclub, 248 Mulberry Street in Newark, New Jersey, starting at 1 p.m. The largest gathering in the history of post-wrestling, live music, and a VIP meet-and-greet and event t-shirt. Postwrestling.com slash live for tickets. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind to ride with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind to ride for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind to ride for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Raw. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting. A huge week begins now for post-wrestling. All roads lead to Newark, which I'm sure is somebody's slogan in life. All roads lead to Newark. How are you, Wei? I'm doing pretty well, John. Yeah, this is our, I guess, fifth anniversary week. Is that what we're calling it? Yeah. Did you get me anything? Um, Of course. Yeah? Yeah. What's, what's the five-year anniversary? Hmm. Um. I don't know. Maybe a nice uh, a uh, chain. You know, I'll get you. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Um. Well, my well wishes. You know, what could be more valuable than that? I'm pretty high maintenance, so I, I expect something that's going to really wow me. So you have a uh, you have you have five days oh, away. Damn. Okay. It is this Saturday. QXT's nightclub, two forty eight Mulberry Street. We are going to be live. In living color with all of you uh, joining us uh, for our special five-year anniversary show. It all kicks off at 1 p.m. Eastern time. We are going to have Brayden Davey in the house. Uh, I understand Fire Frank is going to be uh, making his way to the five-year anniversary show, perhaps a title defense on the way. And then 
Way and I will be getting up on stage. We'll be doing about an hour or so of Q&A. All questions welcome. So we hope to, to hear from many of you. And your chance to meet the likes of W.H. Park, Mike Murray, Brandon Thurston, Chris from L.A., Rich Fan, I understand, is going to be there. Um, it is going to be just a, a plethora of people. Andrew Thompson will be in the house this Saturday. It is all happening. Postwrestling.com slash live for your last-minute tickets. And then after this Saturday, you will never have to hear us again. Plug, plug, plug. Well, yeah. So, um, you know, that's that's it. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to drag this out any anymore. People, I feel like you have to know by now. Okay, if you don't know by now, um, you're probably not coming. So, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. If I get I one comment it. from someone next Monday saying, "Oh, I thought it was on Sunday," <laughs> I might just send you a virus oh, or Jesus something on you with my reply to your email or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, this Saturday, one p.m. We hope to see you all there. Um, and also coming up this week, just to. Uh, Get the uh, the key stuff out there. Saturday night, Way and I will be doing a post show. I don't know what time it will be up. I I have figured out way that we are walking distance from the arena. So whenever that press conference ends, I'm going to just sprint back, and then we'll do a review. I'm going to be exhausted, and uh, and then we'll we'll crash from a, a very long day on Saturday. I am just so thankful we don't have some 8 a.m. flight to make on Sunday. I mean, it's we're probably going to have to be at the airport by 10, so it's not that big of a difference, but. Yeah, no, um, it's not a short track either way. So, yeah, good. So that's on Saturday. Uh, Kate and Nate will be handling Rewind to SmackDown on Friday for Post Wrestling Cafe members. Uh, Way and I will be here on Wednesday night. But tomorrow night, it is MCU later, but a very special edition of the show. It is going to be um, the, the assembly of the MCU later pillars coming together for Wakanda forever. Which way you have now seen. I have seen Saad on the Sunday, you know, had uh, uh, the, the grandparents uh, watch over the baby and, and my wife and I had our first outing since the baby was here um, oh, wow. to watch the movie. So um, we'll be talking all about it. It'll be me. It'll be Rich Fan. It'll be WH Park. It'll be Scrump from Pro Wrestling Tees and Nate Milton, of course. Oh, wow. So all five of us having a roundtable discussion about our thoughts about the movie. And uh Yeah. Tune into it if you're a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe or YouTube member here at youtube.com slash postwrestling. Yes, postwrestlingcafe.com. $6 a month gets you all of the bonus shows, including the Wakanda Forever review, Rewind to SmackDown. Uh, if we if we have some time, maybe we will we will get some bonus stuff out there over uh, over the weekend. We shall see. Uh, but that is your, your access. Sign up any time of the month. You don't have to outsmart Patreon. They've made it very easy for you to get the best value now when you uh, sign up and uh, access to our entire archive. And Rewind Away will be returning next week. Um, which will be quite the uh, the response coming off of our trip to chat some NWA TNA next week. Speaking of the NWA, they had a pay per view on Saturday, maybe the most appropriately titled pay per view a company has ever had in its history. They presented Hard Times, the third installment of such a show. Now, I was watching UFC all Saturday night, so there was one man that we had to bring on to. Talk to us about the fallout from this event because I can't remember the last time NWA has been so much in the uh, in the uh, the ecosystem of professional wrestling. I wouldn't say it is a it is positive, but it's nonetheless there. The word is getting out there. John Cena joins us on Rewind or Raw, uh, coming off of NWA's Hard Times event on Saturday night. John, what happened at this show? Oof, uh, this was a show uh, for sure. Uh, the glory days of. Um 
NWA, unfortunately, are not there anymore. Like, I used to enjoy this show back when we had Ricky Starks and Eddie Kingston and Thunder Rosa. Um, so now it's a little bit hard to uh, digest this show, and especially with all the all the stuff that was going on going into this show. It definitely made it a, a harder viewing. So all week long, the attention was off of the pay-per-view, and it was all on Nick Aldis, who has given his notice to the company. He was thus removed from the show where he was going to be in a, a small match with, with Odinson. So he's off the show. That dominated any discussion of uh, the NWA show. And then it was kind of just th- this odd set of circumstances that, I mean... Friday, you have Sarah Logan returning on SmackDown, and there was actually like some buzz on Max the Impaler, who was going to be on this show. Um, coming out of this card, I did not sense much goodwill of the people that watched this card. And uh, like, I have the quotes here, but in a nutshell, like Billy Corgan has stated, listen, I don't care if you don't like this, this is what we're doing. And if you don't want to watch this, don't watch it. And the mentions that I've seen today, uh, it just seems like, um, I don't know why you would ever choose to go to war with your fans, but it just seems to be uh, an overwhelming response of, dude, we have carved out maybe some attention that that you will have and you will not have any more of it after this. It just seems like it is a product that has um, it's like actively fighting its fan base. It's the strangest thing to see play out in this way. And let's just say people did order the pay-per-view just for Maxi Impaler. Because on the pre-show that was free on YouTube, they definitely hit over the head that Maxi Impaler was going to start the show. Mm. This was not a good show to introduce people to NWA and bring people back to NWA. There was so many things that were wrong with this show as far as, like, the referees. Like, I feel like every match there was a, a, a botched spot with, like, the referees, like, pretending to be distracted, but they really weren't. Then you had this EC3 debacle, like, in the middle of the match, just cut a very disgusting promo on um, Tom Latimer. They're like the only like redeeming quality of the show. I'd have to say is maybe like the Bobby Fulton thing, like this throat cancer survivor coming in in his old fantastic scare, cutting a, a passionate promo. That was awesome. And then Kerry Morton winning the junior heavyweight title because his dad was in his corner. Like other than that, I really can't say there was too much positive coming out of this show. One of the um, interviews that Billy Corgan did was with uh, JBL and Gerald Briscoe. This was a, uh, transcribed by Andrew Thompson on the site. So I'm just going to read a portion of this. This was uh, Billy Corrigan, and this was before the pay-per-view going into it. Corrigan says, I want to bring back a traditional mainstream product to television, national television or international television. It's not complicated. In terms of the vibe, I like that old shooter vibe. I want you to watch people who you believe can beat your ass. That's it. And I want the toughest to win, and I want the toughest to feel like they're the stars of our company. And it's interesting because as I've pivoted to that over the last 18 months and really built the company around the toughest people, not always the biggest, but the toughest people, I really see how it's starting to click. In essence, I finally connected that passion that I had for Bruiser Brody when I was a kid to the modern version of the NWA. A lot of people in the wrestling community, and I know it's a highly debated topic, like what's going on with, I'll call it the eight-star Meltzer matches and all that stuff. And I like that stuff too. But if we're talking business, just straight business, not fan stuff, I still believe in Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. And in this, referring to his main event uh, with Matt Cardona, who's recast himself on the independent scene, and the star that he is versus Tyrus, who's 6'8", 375 pounds, against Trevor Murdoch, who's 6'3 and another 350. I want to see that match. If you don't want to see stuff like that, don't watch the NWA because that's what I'm going to give you. More and more of that. And as we climb and I'm kind of able to develop younger talent in the mold of the NWA, we will be the toughest, hardest hitting wrestling promotion in the world. 
So that's, you don't like this? Tough. Literally, that is our mantra. We are going to be the toughest promotion. And listen, I think the NWA, they have greatly struggled. Um, they are trying to find an audience. But to me, I just find it to be so such a turnoff when this idea is that we always have to appeal our product to people that are not watching wrestling, that have no interest in this stuff. Like, that is who we want to reach. And this is all ultimately saying, like, your core fan base that w- would go out of their way on a Saturday night to watch this, it's like actively saying... We don't want to market towards you. Like we are not even going to give you that that base product. I just think this is like the worst message to give to your audience and I I just it's a it's a real questionable tactic and just almost comes across as like desperate that you're having such a defensive posture towards your audience and almost daring them not to follow or spend money on, on their product. Yeah, I really don't understand who they're trying to cater to like are they trying to cater to the people that don't like the flippy flop wrestlers or the like? I like this is the control your narrative fan base that like isn't really around anymore because they're not running shows. Like I don't know what they're really trying to to get with this like negative publicity that like you know come watch Tyrus, come watch Trevor Murdoch. Like I don't really understand Billy Corgan's whole purpose in this. It just, it just seems to be as though this philosophy of like. Um... You know, it's almost like we want to present something like who are the toughest guys, and yet this product, I think it's filled with like a lot of wacky characters and gimmicks, and um, you know, there was a lot of negativity I think towards Tyrus coming out of this show, and then this, this Billy Corgan uh, comments that he made both on Busted Open last week, and and I think honestly, like the way everything went down with Nick Aldis, I think that Billy Corgan. Um, had like um a defense but i just think he really did not endear himself after these comments um to to his audience so i mean it's just this great question of when we talk about this countless shows and pay-per-views that are out there every single weekend it's so many choices and the idea that your audience would choose you and it's um like this is the kind of message that you are sending out it just feels like this is a product that i I can't say it doesn't know what it what it is because it seems like Corgan has some vision of what he wants this to be. I just I go back to your question, John. Who are these people that they are seeking? These like non wrestling fans that are going to fall onto this uh, fight subscription or on YouTube and be buying a thirty dollar pay per view on a Saturday night when you can see the toughest people fighting on ESPN um, for free the same night. And that's another thing. Like, it's not even included in the Fight Plus package. It's like a whole separate NWA all-access package that you need to get in order to watch, like, their weekly YouTube shows and their pay-per-views and everything. Um, The next couple months should be pretty interesting. Like, they have a lot of eyeballs on them right now, mostly negative. (laughs) But, like, what they do between now and – I know in January they have a live show on a Tuesday, which is, like, pretty random to have, like, a live power episode. But I'm wondering if they have maybe something up their sleeves, like, just to get, like, a train wreck – uh, trend going on, just like they did with the pay per view. I, I, I'm just really intrigued what they're going to do in the next couple of months. But it could be one of those things where they just drive every single fan away from their product. Did they say if that would be a, a 6:05 start time for the live show, or would it? Because there's the potential of that running against NXT that you would think that they would want to avoid. They didn't say it, but I'm going to assume so because their power has been at 6:05. They kind of like. Yeah, with a, by tradition, they like to do with with that time. So I doubt we're gonna have any sort of head to head. But I wouldn't be surprised if they like maybe like advertise something big for that for that special show. I guess. 
Um, what, was there anything on the show that was of uh, that that was hidden in there among all, all the uh, the many title matches on this show? Were, were there any positives for you uh, coming out of this show? Um, Colby Carino and Davey Richards probably had the best match, which is like ironic because like Davey Richards has been defending this MLW title that he hasn't even won yet on MLW TV. So it's like he's defending it in New Japan and NWA, and it's like I didn't even know he won the title. Um, so that match was good. I thought that was like a, a dream for Colby to to fight one of his uh his idols in Davey Richards. Uh, Love Rebellion's been good um you know bestia 666 and make a wolf they had a match against hawks Irie, so it's cool to kind of see luke hawks and his son pj but that was another match where like the referee distraction kind of like messed up the match um other than that yeah there really wasn't too much positivity you had maxine paler um they won a like a casket match against natalia markova that was kind of like wacky you have all these like like you said wacky gimmicks you have like gags again and and scion the mass superstar and it's 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 not even like wacky fun it's just like wacky Eh, I don't really want to keep following this, but you know somebody has to, right? Yeah, I think we've got a new uh, term in the in the lexicon introduced by Nick Aldis. Does this product pass the Harley race test? And uh, I, I guess he has he has now introduced that as the barometer uh, for NWA. But uh, John, we appreciate you as always uh, doing your your coverage on the site. If you want to go through his report, it's up there at postwrestling.com. And we will be seeing John in Newark uh, this coming weekend. So uh, beyond the uh, the the anniversary show that John uh, you will be in attendance for, uh, what are your plans uh, wrestling wise this weekend? Will you be at full gear? Yes, I'm. Got to be skipping Rampage. Um, I've had my, my share um, load of Rampage this year, uh, but I'll definitely be at full gear. Okay. Well, we look forward to it. Shot in the Dark drops uh, every Wednesday. The best 15 minutes you can invest. If you're not following along in the NWA, he's got the best uh, three-minute NWA recap for you every week as part of Shot in the Dark. So thanks, as always, uh, for jumping on, John, and we will see you in Newark this week. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks, Theo. So there you have it. Way will be furiously ordering this replay as soon as we are done to go watch uh, Hard Times 3. Did that Did that sell you on it? I feel like I've seen enough already. Yeah. Uh, we have some other news items uh, to get to. Some unfortunate news coming out of uh, Mixed Martial Arts over the weekend. Uh, it was first reported by Ariel Hawani, the passing of Anthony Rumble Johnson at the age of 38. Um Johnson had been dealing with uh, a disease for quite some time, and it has since been reported that he passed away from organ failure caused by complications from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and HLH um, that he had been, you know, um, Scott Coker had alluded to this at, at, a, at uh, a point earlier this year that, I mean, they kept it quiet, but it was, you know, kind of circulating that he had been, you know, dealing with something, but the severity of which, obviously, I think this still caught many people uh, off guard. Anthony Johnson was somebody that, I mean, if you uh, got to see this guy fight, especially in the last couple of years, the most striking takeaway was seeing this guy who was just a a monster, uh, at light heavyweight and even fought as he- as much as heavyweight when he went to World Series of Fighting. This guy started off his career as a welterweight and you see this guy and I I met him in person multiple times. The idea that this man ever got onto a scale and saw the numbers 170 underneath, like you just could not process that this guy made 170. And he had a, a hell of a struggle uh, with his weight, uh, and that ultimately cost him his first run in the UFC, where he missed weight. He moved up to middleweight and then missed middleweight by 11 pounds for a fight with Vitor Belfort in 2012. So then he was cut after losing to Vitor, and that's where he 
You know, it was a case of a guy that gets cut by the UFC, reinvented himself outside, and found light heavyweight to be his weight class and was there right at the beginning of the World Series of Fighting promotion, which eventually became the PFL in its current form, and then was brought back to the UFC and then went on his biggest run at this point at 205 pounds. He came in and he fought Phil Davis at UFC 172. And this was a fight that the the belief was Phil Davis wins this fight and he is probably next in line for John Jones, who was going to be fighting Glover Teixeira on that same card. And dude, Anthony Johnson came in and it was the best performance I have ever seen Anthony Johnson have over three rounds, stopping Phil Davis, having like answers for his takedowns. Like this guy just had a phenomenal performance over three rounds. And then we saw just the the knockout gallery from Anthony Johnson, where this dude was one of the the scariest knockout artists in the entire sport, uh, knocking out uh, uh, Lil Noguera, Alexander Gustafsson, who he beat in Sweden. And then that got him a chance to fight John Jones and was scheduled to fight him when John Jones had his hit and run incident back in uh, 2015. So it became Johnson and Daniel Cormier. And if you remember this fight, Anthony Johnson connects and Cormier goes down. And I believe afterwards, Cormier said that was the hardest shot he has ever felt in his career. But Cormier was able to recover and use his wrestling and submitted uh, Johnson. And that that's how close Anthony Johnson came to winning the title. He then went on another stretch of impressive knockouts, including Glover Teixeira in 13 seconds, and then had a rematch with Daniel Cormier that I believe... You were with me to cover in Buffalo, and that was where he got submitted a second time by Daniel Cormier. And then in the cage, he all of a sudden announces his retirement. And as I recall, like there were people around Johnson that had no idea he was going to be announcing his retirement and just alluded to that he had other things that he had planned in his life and ended up uh, starting a, a CBD oil company and got involved in, in different things, came back with Bellator and fought with them once last year and then sort of disappeared. And this is what he was dealing with. But I mean, a guy who's 38 years of age and j- just looking at his birthday, I mean, this guy was born days before us way like that really yeah. kind of hits you. Um, He's three days older than you. Yeah. You know? Um. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy for me, you know, as somebody who um, really hasn't been following much MMA. So, like, I don't really know much of what this man has been up to and haven't really been following his story. So my last memory of him was from that particular fight, his retirement fight, mm-hmm. where I just felt like, you know, the mood was relatively celebratory going out, not with a win, but like, I think with uh, about as close as you can get to, you know, um a championship victory um and and i think the mood that he was in you know in even in losing uh he seemed so happy to like you know have accomplished so much in his career and and seemed to be on to you know greater and better things and it's just uh incredibly sad um a man at his age you know um had to have his his story uh ended so so up so soon and so abruptly it's it's incredibly sad yeah. So, I mean, our, our condolences to, to his family. Like, that's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a tragedy. A lot of people have, you know, compared with like Elias Theodoro, who as well, yeah. like, was suffering mm-hmm. and no one was aware of it. It's just, um, that's, it's, it's, it's a tragically young age for an individual to pass away at. Um, over in uh, WWE, a few news and notes. Uh, Fightful Select had a report today 
that the an offer has been made to Steve Austin for another match, but not aware of who the opponent would be, where the event would what the event would be, and and whether it will ultimately happen. But the the new regime has made an offer to Steve Austin. You would think way that this would be WrestleMania, unless it was um, you know. Saudi. Potentially. Saudi Arabia, you, you have to look at. I just wonder if they would be planning that far ahead, but, um, it could be just as a, like a blanket offer about, Hey, we, what, what is your interest level? And, you know, it seems like, um, Austin was extremely happy with how the Kevin Owens match went. And that's what we said in the lead up to this. Like, if this goes really well, it's going to be very hard to just flip that, that switch off after 19 years and, if it goes well, and I don't know if that could have gone much better than it did in Texas earlier this year with Owens. And, you know, he's, he's going to be 58 next month. So it's not like you've got another 19 years to ponder about doing another match. It's now's the time. And it's unbelievable money that is probably uh, staring at him. And that he's not a guy that is, uh, is, uh, worried about uh money at this point in his life but at, at the same time it's it's ridiculous amounts that he's probably staring at and when you have the example it went through and you look great um that's obviously going to be, uh, motivate people he posted a uh an instagram video recently showing his workouts um i can't play it in, in the browser here but um you know, showing that he's still in incredible shape, carrying on from, and I, you would assume, you know, the, the the level he was at at WrestleMania. And you know, John, once the seal is broken, what else? What what are you left protecting here? You know, the man was concerned. I would assume maybe for all those years about harming his legacy, came back and you know was in a very different style of match. But nonetheless, I think for a lot of people, I mean, one of the highlights, if not the highlight of that year's WrestleMania, both nights. So, um. I think that probably gave him a lot of confidence. And also, I mean, there's no real risk. I mean, he could come back and have a bad performance, but I also don't think he's going to. You know, I think there's enough, like, sort of ways you can craft a wrestling match to make him look great, you know, maybe do a brawl style. I would, for one, would like to see him have a proper match. And if he's coming back and if he's, you know, looking for a good money deal coming off of it, I feel he's probably quite confident that he could do more than what he even did at WrestleMania. If you're looking at it just from um, the perspective of you know what it's going to cost for these performers and, and and what you want to get out of it is if you had Austin and Rock on the table, is that almost too much? Even with two nights of WrestleMania, when you know at the same time it's we know how these go. Like WrestleMania, you make it as big as you can, and then who's there the next night, and who's there the next month, and that's. That's kind of the balancing act. Like, is it sort of the idea? And th- those guys are not coming back for a match at, at a cheap price either. It's like, do do you just go through? It's, it's a chance to have both of them back. We just go balls to the wall and book them both. I just don't get the sense that there's any dollar figure. Like, I mean, say for, I don't know, something egregious. Like, I don't even know what a number would be. But I, I, I think for what either you know uh an austin or a rock would 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 be asking for realistically um there there doesn't seem to be amount that i don't think the wwe could afford you know especially with with the business that they've done they can afford it but it's just when you look at like the economics of it it is we're getting a flat amount from peacock and mm-hmm. this this show these shows are going to sell out the tickets have been like they have got off to tremendous starts so obviously there is, you know, many, many benefits to having these and overall interest in your product will be so high. 
And maybe you're looking at it from that strength. Hey, we're going, that's right around the time that these television negotiations are heating up. Having Austin and Rock on our television, even sporadically, is only going to intensify our general awareness that we go all out because maybe that's what they're looking at. That is, it's not about selling tickets or even Peacock subscriptions. It is just the, look at the buzz that they got this year coming out of mania with it, with everything like it, it genuinely helped their profile. And if you had a rock and or Austin attached, like come next March, WWE is going to be at, at a very high popularity peak. It's one of those things, though, that I think is very much affected by timing. You know, certainly when it comes to Dwayne Johnson, you're not going to be guaranteed that he'll be available at, at next year. Or it's the a year big after. question mark. Like that's when the XFL starting. How many projects he has going on? I mean, it's um, to me, if you were asking me today, like who would be the more um, reliable individual? Like it's Austin, like with Rock. I, I don't even know like when you have to lock that in and if he even can lock that in. I, like that's, you know, obviously going his schedule will dictate it. I think in both their cases, you strike while, while the opportunity is there. You know, um, who knows if Steve Austin will be in whatever shape. I, I imagine it's a struggle to, to perhaps stay in the shape that he's in uh, every single day at 58. So who knows if you'll have the opportunity next year to tell these stories. If they're available, I, I would say absolutely do them. You know, the only question is um, whether or not it would be a WrestleMania or or another show. Uh, some injury and who, and who would get the spot? Well, that's that's the other option. It's, you know, with 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 Dwayne, I think everyone knows what the destination would be with Austin. It becomes a more interesting question. Like, do you go the dream match route with like somebody else? Do you go with, you know, it, it's going to be, I think, ultimately what Austin is looking for is somebody that can be at the level or above of what a Kevin Owens was, who was a fantastic mm-hmm. opponent for him. And, you know, that was 20 years ago. His hesitancy with doing the Hogan match was the idea that it just like that's that's as big a match as they could have booked in 2002. And it was Austin's reluctance of like how that match turns out. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you, you've got like a shorter list at that point where, you know, whether it's it's a Seth Rollins, whether it's a AJ, you know, that's Looking that's kind of. The level, like, I think you want someone that can talk, but ultimately someone that you can, like, like an Austin can't get away with four minutes. Like, I think you need to do something close to what they did with Owens uh, mm. earlier this year. That is, you know, a full match, even with the smoke and mirrors that they had with with the the no holds barred a- aspect to it. Is there anyone that that jumps out at you that would be um, that person? I'm trying to think of like you know characters that I feel would be would fit that sort of dream match you know level. If a John Cena is available, do you do you pull that trigger? I it's mean, it's a huge match. They're yeah. both guys that aren't going to be around the next day, but nonetheless, yep. it, I mean, it, it, it's arguably the biggest match you could possibly make. I mean, Dwayne Johnson, Roman Reigns aside, um, and it's it's sort of a, a dream match of you know um, franchise players from two different eras finally meeting. But, but you know, do do you stand to gain any value beyond that one night or that run up and, until that night? I mean, historically, it's been, you know, there's there's a downside to that style of matchmaking for WrestleMania. But the benefit is that one big night that you get. And 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 sometimes that's that that's worth the kind of malaise that you will have post WrestleMania and and who they can get in the mix too. like they have, you know, by that time, like like Cody will be back. Hopefully, like some of like your Becky Lynch's are back. Charlotte's back. I mean, it's it's going to be like those two nights. This is not the. uh this is certainly a mania where it looks like they will have 
quite a lot at their disposal, potentially. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So some injury notes. Um, it was first reported by the, the Observer, and we were able to confirm this, that uh, Kevin Owens uh, apparently suffered a knee injury on Sunday at the house show in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, the Observer reporting that's believed to be a right MCL sprain in his knee. And the hope is that it's not any worse than this. So that, uh, I guess, is, you know, just wait and see in terms of the uh, severity of it. If it's just a sprain, then that's um, that's a minor injury for him. But, um, you know, as you know, without knowing how the whole war game thing shakes out. I mean, many people expecting Owens and Zane on opposite ends. And hopefully this does not throw a wrench if that is, in fact, the desired plan uh, for them, because, um, you know, you would think that like Owens would be a very big contributor into this story and has been off television for several weeks now. And on a babyface side that has to oppose a team that is as over as Sami Zayn with the bloodline, you need somebody that is well, as well liked as the Kevin Owens on, on that side to really even things out. But I would still say, like, I don't know if he's in, I don't think he's necessarily integral to the team. And I think you could still tell a, an Owens and Zayn story down the line, even if he's he's to miss this one. But it would be a shame if he was originally set to be to be there, of course. Yeah, especially if it if it if it's designed to work itself into the finish where it's one of they're on opposite sides and then one of them is coming to save the other you can get creative even if owens isn't in the match itself and or even if he's got a sprain like can he do enough or can they can they craft a a spot around it just to kind of have him in and out well i would if it if it's only a sprain i i don't think it it would be a big enough issue that it Mm -hmm. would it would prevent it it's it's only if you know hopefully it's it's nothing worse you with the knee that's that's obviously the uh the, the hope uh the other one concerns uh ray mysterio uh ringside news had reported that he had suffered uh an injury uh, a short-term injury and was in a walking boot on friday at smackdown and then in a follow-up from the observer site um which uh I was also able to confirm is that uh, Mysterio was supposed to be in the World Cup tournament. He has been replaced by uh, Mustafa Ali. So it would have been uh, Rey Mysterio against uh, who Ricochet. was it? Ricochet. OK, mm-hmm. so that would have been your opening match. Uh, Prince Puma and Rey Mysterio in a in a rematch. So uh, Ray, it's he was in a walking boot. But I guess the, the hope is that this is only a, uh, a short term injury and that he's back relatively soon. So that is your injury update going on there. 
Friday Night SmackDown uh, did tremendous. It was the number one show on all of television Friday night with 2,264,000 viewers, a .58 in 18 to 49, uh, their highest numbers since the big white rabbit tease on September 23rd. So this was a a gigantic number uh, for SmackDown. Um, They were up. It was their highest 18 to 34 since that September 23rd episode, just a very strong showing for SmackDown. And this was largely paced by, you know, the first half hour was the Usos new day match that had been built up. You also had the bloodline that they built the, the show towards at the end of it. So a very healthy increase over the previous week for the show, Uh, not having such a great Friday night was rampage that did, 458,000 viewers, which was basically identical to the amount of viewership they did last week. But their 18 to 49 number fell uh, 24% from last week and falling out of the top 50 original cable programs on Friday, which is very, very rare for Rampage. Um, They were up against, you know, there was there was NBA, there was college football, but um and and there was still like you know you did see some some news coverage still on the midterms that was uh, occupying some spots but i mean rampage lost to things in their uh, like they lost to a show i think on the food network in their their time slot as well so it seems like it was we don't have as much of a breakdown because it wasn't in the top 50 but their viewership was similar it seems like it was likely their younger audience that was down and i just have to look at this way that um an orange cassidy lee johnson main event um this is the reality, and this was the in, in its normal time slot, um, the second lowest eighteen to forty nine number in Rampage history, and you kind of have to look at just what was on, what was on the lineup, and Lee Johnson is an unproven entity in in a main event, and I think that you you know that is that kind of comes with main eventing a show is when it doesn't draw, it's not an established entity to me, to me as at least one of the factors. Well, absolutely sure, and I I, I certainly hope. Lee Johnson gets zero part of the blame for it because um, it's the matchmaking. I mean, I would go as far as to say, like, I don't think much effort was put into matchmaking to try to spike any sort of significant rating. And I think if you look at the the type of um, maybe even um, special attraction matchmaking that they're putting on Rampage right now, um, whether it be Shibata, you know, a week prior or next week with Junakiyama versus Eddie Kingston, I don't feel like they are making an effort really to try to, you know, get into the top or at least like increase higher than their usual places. I think they're instead looking to attract the maybe lapsed hardcore wrestling fan that might've watched rampage consistently that has stopped wrestling watching rampage or, or I don't even know, maybe watching rampage on, on a, on a DVR at this point. So, um, I, 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 I don't think they should be surprised at these sort of results. And it also, like it's, not the end of the world if you get a number like this, but the idea going in is that, okay, Lee Johnson is not established, but this is a building process, and that's fine. You are going to have to sacrifice numbers to get guys into those spots so that your audience accepts them. The issue becomes if Lee Johnson is just a background player after this, or he's he disappears for four weeks, and then we go back to him. Then it's sort of like you just threw a guy out cold. He didn't even benefit anything from it. And there's no follow up to him. Well, he's right back where he started. Only he's got this um, attachment to him, like with, with a number here. So it's like sometimes you're going to have to give up numbers to try and build stars. But if there's no follow up to them, then it, it's all for naught. It's like you're not even building off of anything. I wouldn't attach a single thing 
with this number to Lee Johnson, you know, like it could have been any single person out there. Really, it was just an Orange Cassidy match. If you pin it on anybody, then you can perhaps pin it on Orange Cassidy. Like he is the man supposed to be who is supposed to be attraction, and his opponent could have really been anybody. Lee Johnson, I don't think has made, has even had like a singles match on Dynamite. Like I, I can't, I can't tell you when. I can't even tell you his last appearance on Rampage. So I, I think he, you know, none of it should be on him. Uh, what what was the first match that that took place on on, on Rampage that day? Ethan Page, or sorry, it was Brian Cage and Dante Martin. I, yeah, I mean, again, I wouldn't put it on any of those guys because to me, Rampage is always like pretty, like for for the most part, like a collection of just dudes that are supposed to be an ROH that you're that you 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 don't see on uh, on on Dynamite, and occasionally a tag match with the John Moxley, and you know, lately Orange Cassidy title defenses. Beyond that, like I don't think you can really attribute anybody as any sort of significant draw, and therefore you shouldn't be play, placing the blame on them if the number is bad. No, I'm just saying, like, these are not, like, it, listen, this was just a lineup that people were not as interested in. And thus they had, like, a uh, a number like this. Um, and, you know, it's it, like there's there's different ways of how you can approach these shows. Do you just load them up with your established stars? Is it the show where we put out people like this and then we have less concern if, like, there's a bad number, but there's a purpose for it to to build these people? Like, we ha- if they have a plan for Lee Johnson, great. But to just throw out someone cold like this, you've got to expect that there's going to be an audience that's not going to be interested. That like, Is there a, a chance in hell that you would see Orange Cassidy and Lee Johnson headlining a Dynamite? Ever. Like, you wouldn't no. even... like. Th- there's absolutely no way you would ever see that in a main event slot on Dynamite because people know what the standard is on Dynamite of like who they put in those precious time slots. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, at the end of this year, I feel like... um how Tony Khan views, views AEW Rampage will continue to be like one of the big questions. Um, it, it, I feel like it's it's been a lot of things over the past year where I, maybe it started off in the, in the year as more of a real destination. And it would be the places where you'd have to go to see guys like Hook, um, see special attraction like that, like attractions like that. But over time, it just kind of has felt like, you know, an extension of AEW Dark where you're just going to, you know, go go there to, to see guys get that extra ring time that they're not supposed to get on Dynamite without that much effort put into like creating stories for um, their particular matches. Um, and, and that it seems to be like it's a strategy that they're like really dedicating them, themselves to. And, and one of the the examples I think we're starting to see is like with somebody like a Junakiyama sh- getting on the show. Like I, we'll see tomorrow how much attention is put into like you know crafting any sort of like hype for it, or if it's just you know thirty seconds of Eddie Kingston speaking and then you get the match on Friday. And for a lot of people that'll be enough. But um, will it be enough to like you know improve its ranking? I'm not sure. Maybe Tony Khan should come out and say, for people complaining about Rampage and some of these, uh, the matchmaking, if you don't like this, then don't watch because I'm going to be do. this is what I'm doing, okay? I'm doing more of this. I don't want to hear any of your feedback, okay? This is what we're going to be doing. Uh, and Young Rock on Friday Nightway, we are up to uh, his heel turn, uh, joining the Nation of Domination on the show. And... Um, there was no dominating by NBC on Friday night. They did a million four hundred twenty-six thousand viewers, a point two two in the demo, down twenty-one percent in viewers, down fifteen percent in the demo from the season premiere the week before. So among the big four networks, they were last in total viewers, but they were only second last in eighteen to forty-nine because they beat a replay of Blue Bloods on CBS. So there you have it. Young Rock did not come in last in eighteen to forty-nine. For the network program so you beat a replay of blue bloods and the next is uh you know the big guns so yes yeah 
Yeah, the uh, the U the the president uh, that Dwayne Johnson lost to in 2032, he contacts Dwayne Johnson because there's a coffee shortage in the U.S. and they have found a country that has um, all of this excess coffee beans, and they want to send Dwayne Johnson because the president of this country is a big rock fan. Okay, have I sold you on hmm. this season of Young Rock? Is this um, uh, is this going to raise their viewership? I might have uh, to, you know, I'm sure I'll, it'll be different watching it than how you described. So, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, on that note, final thing here, uh, speaking of rampage on November 25th, a week from Friday, this will be black Friday. Uh, they will be bumped for the NHL on TNT. So rampage will be airing at 4 PM Eastern time on TNT. So I, I love this, uh, personally, this will probably be not great for rampage, but for me, this is tremendous. We can go live that night at like 10 o'clock. This is a wonderful. We'll go, we'll go live at 5 p.m. if you want, John. Well, I mean, there will be SmackDown still. Oh, okay. I, I, I don't. I don't think we we can warrant the uh, the, the 5 p.m. live st- start time. Um, but yeah, I'm yeah joking. that will be uh, next Friday. Um, okay, I'm all for this. I would love for if Rampage was on at four o'clock every Friday. That'd be much easier for my life. So maybe might they should some, move it there. Might have some extra time to even go shopping afterwards, John. You know, try to try to get in with the lineups. Try to get a TV. This would Something. be they should have like the the after school block on TNT where it's a uh, uh, rampage and and um, and throw power slap uh, move it from TBS power to TNT slap. and do two hours of yeah. after after school programming and on Fridays. Throw it on PBS. I think it's great programming. Forget TBS. Power slap on PBS. You know, so, it's, it's perfect after after school. So yeah. I've never watched any of this slap fight stuff, but yeah. after all of this coverage last week, I, I felt I owed it to myself to at least look uh, look into this stuff. So I, yeah. I watched some of it. Mm-hmm. Dude, this stuff is insane. Okay. It's utterly insane. And granted, I watched a highlight where it's like craziest knockouts. Yeah. And dude, it's just like, they're just sleeping these dudes. Like it's apparently like you can't flinch either. So they go, it's like one to like i would never be able to do this and then boom they wallop them and these mm. there's dudes like out cold dude like they just get corpsed yep. on the on the panel like th- this i don't know it looks nuts i'm sure there's going to be uh those that are advocates for this or dana white's gonna have his whole list of how this is safe but i just watch it i'm like i don't understand this i need to look at that list if there's a if he has an explanation for how you know, just Dude, Nevada, Nevada approved this. Like, what does that tell you? Like, one thing I can tell you, if Dana White was not involved in this with the Fertitas, yeah. we're not talking about any of this. There is no TV deal. There is no Nevada c- sanctioning this. Like, there is no way. There is no way. Like, this will honestly make Nevada, which is one of the more serious commissions. We're not talking about Texas or Florida here. This is Nev- the Nevada State Athletic Commission that has okayed this. And, I mean, the the proof will be in the pudding when, when this happens. Um but like, it's, when I, I just are, watch it and I just, I, when I dudes are getting knocked out like that, I mean, what's the, like, is there any sort of protection in not allowing a closed fist? Like if, 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 a, if, a, if a slap, if a strike, let's just call it what it is. If a strike from this range with an open palm is enough to knock a guy out. Well then like why, why, what's the difference between that and just uh, honestly like a, a closed fist, I suppose uh, less frequency of knockouts, but it's, it's still an incredibly powerful blow. That's, that seems like it'll be enough to like, you know, KO a human being. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would love to know, um, 
the, the slap fighting experts out there. I know that uh, slap fighting is a, is a no-no term, but on this show, we can call it slap fighting. All right. Okay. All of your news can be found postwrestling.com. The schedule is up there. And again, Wakanda Forever Review Tuesday night, postwrestlingcafe.com with Waiting, Nate Milton, Scrump, Rich Fan, and of course, WH Park. We'll all yeah. be coming together for this, uh, this big review. 10 p.m. Eastern time. I'll be sending out the link uh, to all members and also patrons uh, a bit later on tomorrow. And then uh, it'll be out in the archive as well for all of the people that are signed up to our exclusive feed. And uh, also from the weekend, uh, WrestleNomics dropped with uh, Brandon and Jesse going over all the latest news and uh, the pay-per-view full gear coming up this weekend. Uh, Post Pro Res with WH Park and Karen Peterson, who is over in Japan right now as we speak. And uh, a special on-the-road edition of the UFC 281 Post Show. Me, live from the BDE, reviewing mm-hmm. UFC 281, which was an awesome card on Saturday night. Uh, that is also up on the free feed and at YouTube.com slash Post wrestling. I survived. I made it to the BDE and then uh, drove my uh, rode my bike home, and it was it was like snowing. I I froze to death on my way. It's home. a long ride, dude it, dude. it was a lot longer than I envisioned in my head. It took me over like a half hour to bike home, and it was wow. just so cold. Well, worth it. Uh, yeah, totally, absolutely. This Saturday, post wrestling turns five years old. Brad the Ark was here. I've been busy compiling my list of the top 193 post-wrestling moments. Number 193, the 115th episode of Rewind to Raw from March 2nd, 2020, where John said right now a record 11 times. Number 192, the 117th episode of Rewind to Raw from March 16th, 2020, where John broke his previous right now record by saying it 13 times. It looks like I only have two minutes. My number one favorite moment was definitely December 2017 when you guys launched Post Wrestling. Just truly overjoyed that you guys were back and you were doing everything on your own terms now. And I just look forward to another five years of this, guys. Congratulations. Get your tickets at postwrestling.com slash live this Saturday, November 19th at QXT's nightclub starting at 1 p.m. Let's get into Raw. Hey, guys. What are you doing tonight? We're going down to the KFC Yum Center. Oh, home, one of of, my... home of the memorable uh, edition of Raw on Monday night. Oh, one of my favorite stadium names, you know? It's, it, it's, it, I mean, really, it's the name of the brand, of course, and you can't really get around it. But um, just something, it really, is, is, this, is the arena shaped like, it should be shaped like a bucket, don't you think? I doubt it is, um, but that would be a creative way to do it. That's what I always liked about the saddle dome was it had its, it, it was like in the shape of a saddle. Okay. Just kind of right. like a bull. Um, well, I, I meant like a KFC bucket. I understand. Know? Seth Rollins starts the show and he recaps Austin Theory's cash in as the crowd chants. That was stupid over Austin Theory's failed cash in last week. And he is really putting this U.S. title over as the top title on Monday night. So they're they really trying to put some prestige onto this U.S. title as it would seem like the idea of Roman keeping these two belts is not one that they are going to be distancing themselves from anytime soon. And I'm fine mm-hmm. with that, to be honest. You know, even if Roman were to lose at some point in the next, um, where are we at? You know, six months. 
I still think it's a great idea to try to promote your secondary cha- championships as if they were, um, well, really, the, you know, the, the maximum value that they can. The, the clearly, like, um, they recognize... 19 years of WWE promoting this U.S. title, and now, you know what? It's not a horrible idea to have a great secondary title. We used to be able to headline uh, garden shows with the tag titles. I mean, my God. It, it is one of the, I would say, um, maybe few, maybe, maybe one of several, uh, maybe to some people, um, benefits of having Roman Reigns basically, you know, sequester both big championships, um, onto only loan pay-per-views. They feel like bigger, um, uh, deals whenever he, he appears and, and defends them. And when they put effort into the other secondary championships, like they are with the IC in the U.S., um, it, it certainly elevates those champions and also those belts. If you had the belt separate right now, do you think Austin Theory would be champion by now or on the precipice of winning the other, hmm. the, the non-Roman? Depends title? on who the other champion is, right? Cause I, it, I think there would be a very high percentage that they would just put the belt on him. And yeah. I think that would honestly do more damage to him being the alternate champion to Roman Reigns at this time. Could you imagine him holding the other world title on Raw and Roman Reigns is on SmackDown? Like, what an indictment of where this guy is. It's not really unprecedented to, you know, in situations like these, whenever they've had two championships, to have one really weak champion and and, and one that, that, you know, has has had a lot more respect. Um, Would Austin Theory be in a better place for it? All of it is in follow-up, you know, isn't it? And, And even in the loss, we will talk about it. This was a very... Austin theory heavy episode. Design. He was he was the whole focus of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Bobby Lashley comes out. He wants his title back. Rollins brings up the loss to Lesnar last week, and then Mustafa Ali rushes out with a referee. Lashley threatens to hurt Ali, who charges the ring and proceeds to get hurt. And Rollins just gets out of there. Lashley just deals with Ali, and the match gets set up as we come back from commercial break. Bobby Lashley, Mustafa Ali. And Lashley runs him into the post, launches this guy over the desk. He just flew and then slams Ali in the ring. The referee's checking on Ali if he wants to continue. And then the chant that no babyface ever wants to hear as they're splattered on the mat. One more time. One more time. It was like, man, no sympathy for this guy. And Ali avoids a spear, hits a desperation tornado DDT, and then Lashley kills him with a spear. Hurt lock is applied. 428. Bobby Lashley is the winner, um, but not representing anyone in the World Cup. Mustafa Ali, he's going to be going into this one uh, injured. Um, I guess so, yeah. yeah. I like Ricochet's chances on Friday. I think I do too, yeah. Um, I thought there was at least some effort made to show Ali's unwillingness to give up as a way to try to, you know, um, give him something uh, after being embarrassed by Lashley last week and essentially this week. But by the end, I don't think it was nearly enough of Ali fighting back um, for him to overcome a feeling of irrelevance that I would say is attached to him right now. Um, But we'll see, you know, maybe he'll keep coming back, John. Maybe they'll tell that story. You know, they're, they're trying to make Bobby Lashley a bigger heel right now and having this sort of like scrappy underdog and Ali continue to try to pester him uh, despite getting beaten up. I mean, it's one way they like to tell their stories for underdogs. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, I mean, Bobby Lashley was just like, you know, dominant heel monster here and, Mm. and Ali just like flew around for this guy. So, I mean, for, for that objective of what they were trying to accomplish, like Bobby Lashley came across as just a beast in this match. Kathy Kelly is with the OC 
Gallows takes credit for Mia Yim coming to join them because he's so good with the ladies. And AJ says it needs to end between him and Finn Balor. It's been going on since WrestleMania. And uh, then Carl Anderson refers to Mia as Michin. Michon sounds Michin. like. Or Michin. Michin. Yeah, Michin. M-I-C-H-I-N. Yes. And Kathy Kelly goes, Michin? And Mia explains, it means crazy in Korean. And mm-hmm. we got a mixture of Mia Yim and Michin throughout the show where it looks like they are slowly moving her over to this new name. Well, I would say nickname, don't you think? Or, or do you think they're actually going to replace Michin? Well, when they did, this felt like it's just a nickname. And then later they did an interview backstage and Belair and Kathy Kelly both referred to her as Meechin. And that felt like, okay, we, we are permanently making this move. But then Graves later in the night when she ran out, it was all Mia Yim. So we will see if this is a, a permanent move or just a, a nickname that goes with her. But, um, yeah, it, cool. I, I do not, th- this is one where, um, th- this is the day off theory. Okay. These mm-hmm. four hanging out together. I, I don't imagine these don't four hanging it. out together. It is a weird fit, okay? I don't think AJ and Mia Yim would have five minutes of conversation if they were in the car together. Hey, they're both gamers, aren't they? Are, are they both like, uh, or at least AJ used to be on Twitch. Um, Which means they'd want to be by themselves on their Twitch <laughs> and not talking to each other, probably. Well, we know, like, I mean, they're really trying hard to tell us why Mia Yim likes these guys and the association right now. They drink. Like- they drink to be that's, alcohol. That's it. I could buy that. I mean, okay. but yeah, well, <laughs> there are a lot of people you could get a drink with. I mean, would 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 they like to hang out with with each other? Maybe I don't know. Um, they they are definitely trying, you know, to to show some association. And right now, it's just like, oh, you got beers. All right, let's be friends. So Mia Yim took on Tamina. Ripley and Dominic were there, and then Damage Controller backstage, and Kevin Patrick asks. Who are they scouting? I'm sure they're scouting Tamina, Kevin. I'm sure that's who's on their radar right now. What threat does Tamina present to us? Not much of one because uh, the Samoan drop was avoided and Meechin hit Eat Defeat in a minute 59 and is your winner. Which they specifically called Eat Defeat. And it was Kevin Patrick. Not Soul Food. Yeah, it was Kevin Patrick specifically saying she calls that eat the feet, which, um, yeah, historically she's called it soul food and like soul as in the, as in the city. Um, so it, it makes you wonder, like, are, are they, did she simply want to, you know, pay tribute to Gail Kim by reverting the name of the move? Kevin Patrick also referred to like a rack bomb later as a town down. So, yeah. I mean, Kevin Patrick may have been also off. But she also, but but because Kevin Patrick said she calls that eat defeat, I I would imagine he spoke to Meechin before, you know, to get that direction. I'm not sure. Well, maybe she's crazy, okay, and she <laughs> told him one thing but calls it another. That that is quite the Meechin thing to say. What 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 are your what are your thoughts on Kevin Patrick thus far? Several weeks, a month in uh, at this point. I I think overall, um, the best I can say is that he's like inoffensive in the role. I, I don't think he's um I, I wouldn't say he's he stands out in a in a in a positive way. Um yeah. I still think this is a show that more now relies on Graves to sort of oh, pick yeah. pick up certain spots. I mean I, I think the guy is fairly well researched, but at, at the same time, like you do see holes at times of you know, just certain, you know, 
like calling moves and stuff like that, which in this version of WWE, there is a slight more of an emphasis on that than mm-hmm. than was previously. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much aligned with those thoughts. Um, I've, I've yet to be impressed by him in any way. And you know what? Maybe, you know, Paul Lebeck is not looking for impressive. Maybe he's just looking for a guy to, you know, do do the job without necessarily getting noticed. But I, I, I just, I, just I, I do have a very strong feeling that there's, there are probably better candidates even within their own system for, for a job like that. Um, but, but it's still relatively early. Ripley goes to enter the ring, but backs off. She's booed as they tease a confrontation with her and Mia Yim. Kathy interviews Matt Riddle with his bongos. And so they had initially announced Riddle and Elias against Otis and Gable. And then this afternoon changed it to Riddle against Gable. Uh, So there was no Elias on the show. So uh, no explanation there. Oh, no. Riddle explained. Riddle said he was off. Riddle gave us an explanation that he's going to book a concert or something. But what the reason was that Elias wasn't on the show. He couldn't have waited until after the show to book his concert. I mean, that's you have a job to do, don't you? Well, with dynamic pricing, maybe they could make a hell of a killing if they start a band now and uh, book some some venues. Although I, I don't know what the ticket demand would be for these two playing the the bongos and the electric keyboard. Otis and Gable come in. They do the shoosh routine, and Riddle's responding with "bro." Gable and Otis call Riddle a clown show, and uh, and, and that was that. Um, th- there was uh, too much Riddle on this show for me. Oh man, I think he's. I think he's more awful now than he's ever been in this WWE run. You know, like with our case, it felt like they were shelving all this and now they've doubled down on it. They're Mm -hmm. going heavier than ever with this. And like, he is becoming the R-Truth on this show. Like that is like riddles, like vacuum now. Yeah, very much so. I think as part of RK Bro, he was actually quite a daring, you know, especially as the weeks went on with that chemistry and the contrast between the two of them. Um, I, I, it almost to me feels like they're making him purposely obnoxious you know to the point where you want to boo him but i mean i I might be giving him too much credit with that mia yim gets confronted by damage control and they're impressed with her and state we know what it's like to be forgotten and cast aside and wants mia yim to join their team at war games and yim says she has no problem with bel-air oscar or bliss and she's going to think about it and then the oc show up with beer so they're off to drink beer because that's what they do. They drink beer. Yes, yes. In case you were wondering um, what they do when they're hanging out. They drink beer. Matt Riddle. Maybe, against- maybe it'll come out later on that Mia Yim just needed a job and did doesn't like these guys at all. She had to kind of put up with like hanging out with them for weeks, you know, just to, just to get a spot on this show. Dexter Loomis could have just been – like drinking beers and stuff yeah, could have could have gotten really. back a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, as much as the negative I had to say about Matt Riddle, I thought his match with Chad Gable was was very good. Um, Gable goes after the knee, many dragon screws in this match, including one out of the corner. Riddle does this big comeback with the Broton knee strike. Bro Derek gets countered, and then it's Riddle getting caught in the ankle lock. He breaks out of it, leaps in the air, applying a triangle, and he is hoisted onto the shoulders of Gable and dumped off for a two count. Goes for the moonsault. Gable lands on his feet and then draping DDT by Riddle nails Otis from the apron. And then the American automatic results in Riddle landing on his feet. And then Gable applies a backslide, putting his feet on the rope for leverage as Otis holds down his legs. And with the referee 
counting the pinfall, not seeing the interference. It is Gable pinning him in nine minutes and 48 seconds. So, uh, I guess such a, a clever finish, but nonetheless, I, I thought this was a very good match. A very good TV match. Both guys so incredibly like, you know, fluid and technically sound. I mean, they're they're both top level athletes. So I think uh, you wouldn't expect anything less, you know, when, when they're given time. Um, it's a finish that seems to be setting up, you know, Elias and Gable. Sorry, Elias and Riddle versus Gable and, and uh, Otis. So um, maybe. Mania, night one or night two? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, it depends uh, if if you got uh, Steve Austin. I mean, we we never, you know, um, maybe that's the match. Maybe that's the Steve Austin match. You know, maybe put it a three way, okay, with him and Ezekiel. Otis and Ezekiel, and El- yeah, and Elias, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I don't. know. I'm just not looking forward to more of this riddle comedy that we're undoubtedly going to keep getting with them and Gable. Well, if there's something that they're really nailing in this regime, it's comedy because we then went to the poker table. I have never like like groaned more than just seeing a poker table. I had not even seen the individuals involved in this segment. It was like they zoomed out and there is JBL with Baron Corbin and another dude who they kick off the the poker game. JBL turns down some Kentucky bourbon because that's where they are because he's got some Ugandan reserve prime whiskey instead. When Akira Tozawa, if you remember him, he works here. He comes and he wants to play, and he's never played poker before and doesn't know the rules. So JBL accepts and lets him play. This is like when Uncle Phil goes to help bail out Will at the uh, at the pool hall. Yes. And then throws the game, and then Jeffrey brings him his own cue. Ah, uh, yes, I'm sure one that's of, one of the exactly best. Exactly what they were going for. Phil just yeah. takes him to the cleaners. Yeah, great episode. I mean, I I do think there there's some sort of like um I don't know historical connection to JBL, of course, like from his APA days playing poker in the back. I, I would have loved to have seen the the fake door here, but I mean, it was very much a heel type of action. Um, I guess I applaud them for trying to come up with some reason to give us a storyline for this Baron Corbin Akira Tazawa match. Uh, <laughs> And I'm happy to see Tazawa still have a job despite the you know loss of the 24/7 division. Um, yeah, I mean that's uh, that that's a positive takeaway from from all of this. Miz TV is next. Miz comes out in a sweater, and he is cardigan. Shaking, John, it's a cardigan. Yeah, he is shaking hands to the as he goes to the ring. And Byron Saxton has been given hosting duties of Ms. TV. Ms. has prepared a statement regretting paying Dexter Loomis. He just wanted empathy. He has never been cheered for his 18 years in this company, rarely misses work. And Dexter kept taking and taking. So Ms. had to stand up for himself and put an end to Loomis's greediness. So then Saxton asks, what about what you told the private investigator? And he said, this was actually great. He said, Hollywood doesn't want real. You have to spin the truth to make it more interesting, <laughs> which I mean, lo- uh, a mantra that this company would live by. Absolutely. And says that he was depressed all weekend in his room uh, when Johnny Gargano is out stating that he saw on Maurice's Instagram that they were in Cabo all weekend and knows Miz was not depressed. Then says to Miz, you always take the easy way. And Miz just screams, why would I take the hard way? And he calls him Mr. Rogers. But the difference is Mr. Rogers is a good guy who admits when he's wrong. 
And the question that every single person in the KFC Yum Center was asking, Gargano says, can we just move on? And Miz apologizes, and Gargano tells him to pay back Loomis. So this is no longer about the... This is just Loomis is owed an outstanding debt from the Miz, and he just Mm -hmm. wants to be paid off. So in two weeks at Survivor Series, Miz will face Dexter Loomis. If he loses, he has to pay what is owed, and Dexter Loomis gets a contract. I could have sworn they already made that match. Didn't, like at they did, point, and they? then they did the knee injury to Miz, the fake injury, and never did the match that week. Oh, okay. But and, they did set this up about you know weeks ago. Got it. I gotcha. Okay. Well, um, I... I am amazed at their ability to continue to drag this whole thing out. How long has it been? Like two, three months now of this Dexter Loomis Miz thing? Dexter Loomis was on that show in Toronto that we went to, and that was August. It's November. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. All of this to see whether or not Dexter Loomis can get a contract. Um, it's way more ambitious than I could have ever imagined. And, uh, I don't exactly know if the results were worth waiting for. I will say that I, I, I mean, I, I'm certainly pretty anti like this entire program, but there are occasional segments like tonight where I just thought the Miz was really hilarious. You know? Miz was pretty funny. He had some really good lines and playing off of Gargano. I mean, this was uh, coming out in the car cardigan with like, you know, his hair um, kind of like, I don't know, flattened down to uh, supposedly like look more like a baby face, slapping kids hands, you know, coming out and coming out with like, you know, like uh, to me, great heel logic for a lot of the, the like, you know, uh, pr- what's pretty, you know, hard evidence against him at this point. I, I thought he was very good. It's actually Gargano and his whole sort of like, uh, I don't know, kind of obnoxious whistleblowing shtick that I just I, I kind of find more annoying and, and unbearable i think his insults are bad what was his insult today he said like he called him mr rogers like that is that honestly the the best you know a cool baby face can come up with um i don't think he's come across this very well at all throughout all of this and uh i i, I his association can't end quick enough the big moment at the end of the segment was Gargano telling Miz to tell Dexter to his face and Dexter is dressed as the camera operator revealing himself and Miz runs away. So add that to Survivor Series with uh, Dexter's life at stake. Kathy Kelly with Shelton Benjamin is asking Shelton about Austin Theory's cash in. It's like, hey, can we book an interview with Shelton Benjamin? We need his perspective on Theory's <laughs> cash-in. We need to book a camera operator. We need an editing system ready to go because we need Shelton's thoughts to air just on their own tonight. We're not yeah. expecting anyone to come interfere. They're no match will come out of this. We're just going to air one segment asking Shelton Benjamin his thoughts to run during Raw. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, a prior Money in the Bank cash-in um, – uh, you this know, guy person. never won money Would've in the bank, great. did he? No, he's competed in it, but I don't think he's ever won money in the bank. He has I'm, no, I'm saying- he has no relevancy to a cash in, a failed one, a successful one, none. He's been in he, the match uh, to determine who gets to do that opportunity, and he has zero association with Austin Theory. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would have loved would've. if this just aired cold, like just on the show earlier today. <laughs> back to a, a back to our next match, and we just had this like ten minute gap of the show where we Some we didn't book a match, thoughts. so we don't have enough to fill here, but amazing dominic and damian priest interrupt and we never get shelton's full thoughts on austin theory's failed cash in and 
Dominic says that Shelton knows all about being a failure. You've been a failure since my deadbeat dad and Eddie Guerrero were in their primes. And then he hides behind Damian Priest and he's just playing the coward, repeating everything Damian Priest says. And then Shelton says he accepts Dominic's challenge. And this constitutes acceptance of a match. Dominic was forced into this with a verbal contract, I guess. If it's caught on camera, I think that's as good as a signed contract. So Dominic and Shelton Benjamin, um, this gave ample opportunity in Louisville for Kevin Patrick to remind us that Shelton Benjamin was in OVW over 20 years ago. Uh, Dominic slaps him at the beginning, and then it's Benjamin overpowering him. Dominic is is begging off. He's begging for mercy and then catches Shelton, snapping his neck on the top rope, and Dominic is on the attack. Goes for a 619, is caught with a power slam, step-up knee, exploder, ankle lock, and then Ripley distracts. Priest gets Dominic to the rope while he's in the ankle lock, and then Priest distracts as Dominic sends Shelton into the post with his shoulder. This spot I have complained about in the past on tonight's show. I think there were like eight shoulders that were thrown into posts over over time. And then with the post shot, Dominic hits a DDT and the frog splash, pinning Shelton Benjamin in 458. Yes, that is, that is right. Yeah. Um, I mean, really a showcase match for, for Dominic Mysterio here. Um, really, to me, still trying to get comfortable in his new role as a heel. And I think he's progressing like relatively well. In my opinion, I like still a far cry, I would say, from like what you would consider somebody who's a seasoned performer. Um, But he's brand new to this. And I think it couldn't be more obvious that he's being directed to channel Eddie in this heel run, both in terms of moveset and also his taunts, you know, like begging as he's backing off in the corner. Of course, all the, you know, continuous um, uh, bringing up of Eddie. But this time as a way to get heat, you know, before delivering the frog splash and whatnot. Um, but I, at least in terms of, I think, charisma, certainly you you can't find a worse, you know, uh, you can't find a better, I should say, a role model than somebody like Eddie Guerrero. I find it interesting how, like, he's got in his two dads, you know, two of the best examples you can have in a baby face in Ray and in the heel as Eddie. So I think he's doing the role relatively well. Um, and at this point, it almost seems like they're just letting him, you know, grow his wings here on Raw while Ray Mysterio you know, does his thing on SmackDown and then eventually they might be back up again. I'm now picturing Dominic having wings when he comes down to the ring, like Athena. Uh, yeah. Could be a new look for, okay. Him. He could do that. That'd be, that'd be cool. So the next segment, Kathy has an exclusive with Austin theory, the man himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So be like, Hey, You've got Austin Theory tonight for a live interview. Well, we still got to get Shelton Benjamin. We've still <laughs> got to figure out what he thought. I mean, you've, you've literally got the person booked for an interview. Well, listen, I mean, you, you need to get wraparound coverage. You know, that's only one perspective, right? You need the other side as well. And uh, I suppose Shelton was, you know, the best they could get. Theory says that no one understands him or the pressure he's under. They don't know his full story. He was touted to be the next big thing and he exceeded those expectations he became the face of the franchise and people still hate on him because they can't relate to him people want to see me fail and fall short but it's not going to happen i didn't fall last week i feel more alive than ever the briefcase was an anchor for me 
Very true. And Roman Reigns was unstoppable. Every chance I took, there was somebody there. Brock Lesnar was at SummerSlam. Tyson Fury was at Clash at the Castle. Plus, he's got all of the Bloodline members. It didn't make sense to keep going after Roman Reigns. So I went for one of the greatest champions of this generation, and Bobby Lashley cost me. And before we get into the Dolph Ziggler portion of this, I thought this was a very good promo from Austin Theory. They tried the best to explain the... um, he didn't quite uh, go as far as to explain why he cashed in during an open challenge, but he at least tried to right. explain why he went for the United States Championship, which was tough to explain. But I, I thought overall, like this was a really good promo from Austin Theory. I'd go as far as to say, like to me, like one of his best, if not because I don't remember many Austin Theory promos. Yeah, let's be honest here, you know, like, I, but this to me was was probably the most important one of his entire career, more so than the one he he cut after winning Money in the Bank, uh, more so really than any of them, because this is a promo coming off of the most embarrassing moment of his on screen career, cashing in and failing for a secondary championship. So this was incredibly important for him to knock it out of the park and for the content in this promo to logically explain why he did what he did. That was the biggest question I had coming out of last week. If you have the money in the bank, why would you go for a secondary title? And I thought he did such a great job of explaining logically why he did not cash in on Roman Reigns. There was a, there's a high level of honesty in his, in his answer that made me like, be like, okay, I get it. It's Roman Reigns. He it's not like Austin Theory didn't try. Like he said, he's tried multiple times. And every time there was somebody there, whether it be Tyson Fury or Brock Lesnar. And beyond that, Roman is rarely here anyway. And he's got the bloodline around him whenever he's there. So all of that is incredibly logically sound. Um, and I just, you know, it, it's the type of detail that I don't really expect from WWE. Like whenever they have, you know, a, a heel fail or even a baby face fail, usually you just kind of walk away and you forget that it ever happened. And that would have been the worst thing that he could have done. Uh, they could have done for him. But instead, he had to create explanation. And he came out with this promo with a ton of fire and a ton of aggression the way anybody would after being embarrassed publicly on TV. You know, he he's really and they are really using this. Rather than, you know, just, I think, a cause to, you know, a, a reason for somebody to hate Austin Theory. They're telling him to bottle all of those emotions, some of which I'm sure are very real of him being taken this, you know, prime role away from from him that was given to him by, by Vince, taken away by Hunter and, and putting it into this promo and his performance uh, later on tonight where he's really pissed off and he has something to prove. And I thought he really knocked it out of the park. Imagine if Kofi Kingston, John, you know, cut. Even tried to cut a promo like this after losing the championship to Brock Lesnar. That's all I've wanted, you know, following that. And and it was finally refreshing to see somebody suffer a big loss and actually, you know, give me a compelling promo to build off of that loss. Yeah, I know you're not watching it, but this was actually like the storyline of Young Rock on Friday where Money in the Ro- Bank and Young Rock? N- not exactly, but it's where he's Rocky Maivia. And his career is just floundering as a babyface. The audience is turning on him. It's not like exactly the same, but you get the point. He suffers a knee injury and he knows his career is just like totally spinning out of control. And they decide they're going to bring him back to TV. We're turning you. And he begs to get any kind of promo time because 
He says, I, I'm not genuine. And so he gets two minutes to do a promo and he goes out there and he delivers like a great promo. And that mm-hmm. was like what the whole show is basically based around is that like he was just inauthentic and then had to pretty much hit it out of the park with a promo um, to sound like just to have some kind of personality that's that's real. See, that sells me on the show way better than what you were trying to explain before. Uh, well, th- I mean, the uh, the coffee shortage is a real story, and that's actually the <laughs> cliffhanger at the end. Ziggler walks in, calling it the worst cash-in ever, and he tried to help Austin Theory several months ago, but your ego's too big and you didn't want to listen, and says that Theory, Theory says, I'm done being the youngest anything or anyone's protege. I'm the now, and I will prove it against you tonight. Dolph Ziggler, Austin Theory in Louisville at the KFC Yum Center. The man is in need of a rehab match, and I, I, I think Dolph is sort of. I mean, that's his place, and you know, uh, when you need a dependable guy for somebody to beat, um, to you know, guarantee almost a good match. I mean, Dolph is that guy. They explain the the rules for war games. They went over, so it will be five on five with the first two starting, and then five minutes until the next entrant comes in, and then every three minutes a new person enters. Once they're all in, war games begins, and you win by pin or submission. So pretty pretty, pretty standard fare. Pretty classic rules, right? Do we have games. blood? Is is there blood in? Yes, in- I think so. On pay per view, I mean, at this point, WWE, I, I I don't really get the sense that they're trying away too much right like they've done fake blood yeah um, i think at the very least you have fake blood like i, th- I think, think they so. want to have that visual um for like the first main roster um but, but you know what actually uh maybe i take it back because hunter was specifically asked this question and and he s- said something to the effect of how it's not necessary or, or it's antiquated or something so so maybe maybe they don't because in the, in, in, in the i don't th- i don't think that is gospel don't. either yeah yeah we'll see I mean, I just look at Hunter and it's like, dude, that was a guy. And, and granted, people's uh, philosophies change, but that was a guy that um, used blood as much as anyone during his like during his run. I think he saw it as a very effective tool. And it I mean, maybe, maybe we company. don't, but I, I, I wonder. Um, it is a very different company, though. And, and he's in a role now that is also very different from just simply being, you know, a wrestler on the roster. He is a lot more like he has advertisers to speak to, you know, so I don't. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Tribute to the Troops, they announced for December 17th, and it's already been taped. They did that Friday in Indianapolis. EO Sky against Dana Brooke. Dana Brooke, who they noted was the fighting 24-7 champion, a fighting champion. And, uh, I mean, they referred to the trash can thing, but, I mean, that was as much of a write-off as anything. Like, there was, there's yeah. no story coming out of that. There's no follow-up. That title's done. I'm glad they didn't try to do anything like, you know, redo the, the blown spot like of him, of her actually like getting into the, the trash bin or something like just it's retired. Whether or not it, it get, went to the garbage, it's it's done. So Dana is pissed about the title being thrown in the trash can, stating it was painful and she will not go down tonight without a fight. Uh, so they had a fight for three minutes and 19 seconds. Uh, Dana went for a handspring cartwheel, was caught by Sky, who hit her with a released German, double knees in the corner, over the moonsault in three minutes and 19 seconds. Um, I, I, I thought it was, you know, for for three minutes, it was um, a decent little TV match where you know, Sky got to do uh, more than... You don't get to see too many singles matches with her, at least not in this in this incarnation. So it was fine. It, it was fine. I mean, what stood out to me was just how c- cold the crowd was. And dude, th- th- 
it was a lot on the show. Like it was a crowd that was, um, yeah, there, there were parts where they were just ice cold at points and this was yeah. one of them. And, and I mean, I mean, they very much, I think are, are a crowd, um, that reacts to star power and, you know, Dana has, hasn't been seen in months. It feels like, or and when she has been seen, it's not really anything significant. Um, and EO is still a relative newcomer for, for the audience. So, uh, you know, this probably didn't connect as much as maybe they were hoping. So with damage control celebrating the win, Mia Yim comes out and she has an answer. She has chosen her side for war games and she's with Bel Air, Asuka and Bliss. So we have four members now and a new member to come. Well, we can talk about it now. Rhea Ripley joins damage control. So they have their five uh, leaving one spot open now on the babyface side for the women. Yeah, of course, the, the the biggest question of significance coming out of this is how does this affect um, the potential rumor of, or at least the potential expectation, we should say, of Sasha and Naomi making their way back. With two empty slots, I think it made a lot more per, um, people guess that it would be those two taking up these spots. This, of course, is not ruled out that possibility. I mean, we've had War Games matches booked by Triple H where... Um, guys, just people just get taken out mid match and t- only to be replaced by somebody else. It's still a possibility, but that for that fifth spot, I think will, will be really interesting. Um, and, and might finally kind of, you know, settle whether or not to be the, the both of them or maybe just one of them or none of them. John, d- d- are you leading towards any direction coming off of tonight? Well, I would say if they had left the two spots open, I think like you're just screaming that mm. that's the only option you can deliver for people. So, I think if you fill up these spots, um, it's kind of like the company is not teasing anything that they can't claim like they're misdirecting you um, in that sense. There's also the idea that you're if they're showing up on the show, do you also have them do their first match back unannounced? Like just showing up there is going to be big enough. Like you could have damage control win. And then at the end, they come out, place goes nuts and tune into raw the next night or something like that. Um, and you save their match and build it up for something. Um, there's many yeah. ways you can go about it, but the fact that they are, um, and, and to your point, they can also do the idea where, you know, someone gets taken out. Um, I think because it's a pay-per-view, I mean, PLE, I should say, which, you know, for, for maybe us does, it doesn't mean that much, but for the people that are paying higher ticket prices certainly means something. Um, I, I think for that reason, I I I would feel more of a of a responsibility, I should say, to like you know have a Sasha or or a Naomi actually get physically involved rather than just show up, you know, for a run in at the end. Um, but I they're not think- advertising it. It's not like they're they're not even hinting at it. So mm-hmm. I, I can't really claim that they're you know misleading in any way here because oh, th- yeah. there's been no in like no one buying a ticket can leave unsatisfied if those sure. two aren't there based on what they've done so far. But those chants will be there, you know, probably. If- and, and yeah. if they're if if they're not planning on having them show up, then they're gonna have to come up with a way to shut that down, like pretty, you know, like definitively. So, yeah, we'll see. Tozawa is winning at poker, and then Corbin tries to cheat, and he is called out by Tozawa, and this sets up a match, as most poker games descend into. Why well, I stopped playing? Well, did you ever cheat at poker? No, of course not. This was not the best plan. This. I don't know how this would have worked on most uh, on most card sharks. I mean, they're 
the, like his, his just say my word for it. I've got four aces, and don't look at the cards. I mean, this was mm. the, where, where did you learn this trick? How did he score so big in Vegas to, for his fortune, Corbin? You know, he's not a very good cheater. Yeah, I'm sure he wasn't on the crypto market. So, I mean, he mm. must have, you know, actually won, won, won the money. Austin Theory against Dolph Ziggler. This match begins, and dude, this crowd could not be less interested in this. And these two, by the time this match ended, they woke this crowd up. This was um, quite the task that they had. Um, we have uh, Austin Theory hitting the aforementioned rack bomb that Kevin Patrick calls an A-Town down. Then he goes for the A-Town down, and that's when he says, oh, now he's going for it. And Ziggler counters that with a sleeper, takes Theory down. Um, and then eventually breaks out of it. There's a Famouser on Theory for a two count, and the crowd reacts to that. Ziggler gets run into the post once. Then he gets run into the post a second time. And then Ziggler reverses a third one, sends Austin Theory into the post shoulder first, and hits a zigzag, and this crowd loses it. They thought for sure Dolph Ziggler is beating Austin Theory. Theory comes back, A-Town down, but he won't go for the cover. Instead, he hits a second one, then delivers strikes on top, sends Ziggler into the steps, rams him into the desk, and the match is thrown out 14 minutes and 39 seconds as the officials come down to try and pull Theory away. Um, nine times out of ten, when a match goes this long and they do kind of the non-finish, it feels like it's just a way out. I felt there was a storyline reason for this with what you were doing with Austin Theory that... A pinfall doesn't really accentuate it as much as this. So I actually had no issue with this. And I cannot tell you, like, it just sounded like this crowd had no interest in this. And they were able with those near falls to get them to uh, react. And and it worked. Like, they, they started from nothing and, and got this into, like, a, I wouldn't put this at, like, the Riddle Gable level, but it wasn't far behind it. It was, like, mm. a, a very nice match for television. I mean- it's it's a testament to the talent of a utility player like Dolph Ziggler, you know, who just like straight off the bench. You need a great match. Just call on him. One promo is all he needs. And, and you leave it, the rest of it. Just kind of give him that that ring time. And he's able to pull out a great performance out of a, uh, an Austin Theory who, again, really needed tonight to be a home run for him because they were, you know, risking so much embarrassment coming off of the failed cash in last week. Not only did he have to cut a killer promo, he had to have a great match and he did. He did a tremendous job here. Um uh I think the beatdown afterwards also needed to be incredibly impressive and aggressive. Um and I thought they really managed both both of them. He had a great match and he, you know, conveyed different aggression. I'll say like I I I feel the body of his like move set still looks to me a bit basic. soft basic and soft um i'd really like to see a bit more evolution there you know like during the beatdowns is when i feel his ag- aggression was really there i think the sort of like look that he gives when he's like snapped is really strong as well i really want him to like come up with a different finisher uh that might not be the rack bomb i mean you know, uh, something that something that is a lot more devious, you know, something like the stomp, you know, something that's just like kind of like deadly and evil to to, to kind of like match this new character that he's got. But I would say tonight was a really good rehab day for him. And and in fact, you know, I, I like can we look at that failed cash in as like maybe his version of like um, Okada crying at like Wrestle Kingdom nine, you know, <laughs> after failing to beat Tanahashi? Like, are we talking about a long term story here where like. Austin Theory, after failing the cash-in, 
ascends, you know, comes back more driven than ever. And then we can look back at this, you know, uh, failed cash in as something he'll always want to avenge. So for the, the YouTube video, we'll take this conversation and the title is going to be, is Austin Theory becoming Kazuchiko Okada? <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, Jesus. It says waiting. Yeah, what, I've, what I've learned is that most people simply comment not even watching the video or at least maybe watching the first two minutes of the video, okay? And then not watching the rest and not getting the context of the video. So I don't know if I want to risk um, all those, ne- all, all those uh, thumbs down comments, but I mean, whatever. Did you get to see any of Bobby Fish's boxing debut over the weekend? I did. Yes, I did. He almost delivered a Northern Lights during the fight. He lifted the guy up and it was almost like it was just like natural for him to in that position to like hoist the guy over. And you had the announcers, whoa, 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 whoa. So, yeah, Bobby, I mean, he was not taking on um, the world's most dangerous boxer here. I think this guy was like 0-2 as a professional. (laughs) Look at He like lifted him up. Yeah, <laughs> what the fuck was this? <laughs> he was like, maybe he's just in- instinctive. He's like know? arching the back like he was going to complete the <laughs> suplex. So Bobby Fish won at the age of forty six, um, but the highlight and it, and it was not the, uh, the the main event, which I did not watch, but it was rather uh, guest commentator Sammy Guevara, <laughs> and he addresses oh, the Jesus crowd. He's oh. like, "Hey Dubai, you want to see me box?" <laughs> Dude, crickets. It was like painful. And then he did it a second time. He asked him a second time and nothing, dude. It was it was amazing. Yeah, that was I would say uh maybe the His asking knockout. price just went down after that exhibition, after that survey. Hey man, like if we're to draw any sort of real conversation coming out of it, I mean, does it tell you maybe how how much crossover there is with, with you know somebody in the AEW mid card like a like a Sammy Gravara? Uh, well, this audience obviously was not exciting to them at the prospect of Sammy Guevara fighting for them. Um, I, I, I don't know what Bobby Fish made for this, but like, you know, he's going over to Dubai. It's like, I'm sure he was not doing this for, for nothing. You know what I mean? And I, mm-hmm. like, I can't imagine too many people being that intrigued to see Bobby Fish box. Um, like, but that tells you, like, the people putting this together obviously feel that, um, this level of, of wrestler has some appeal to them. Um, if they're interested in Sammy Guevara fighting for them and they're paying for Bobby Fish to come over and, and box. I guess so. Yeah. So it's 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 a bizarre combat sports environment that we are that we are in at the moment. Maybe slap fighting is where he could show up next. Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe that can be Sammy Guevara Andrade at the next pay per view. Wow. Power, power slap. You went there. Interesting. Okay. Oh. And see um, Punk and Bobby Fish. Okay. Yeah, okay. you could you could build a whole card out of this. This could Absolutely. end up on on Fight Pass. I'm sure. Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> it's wild. Uh, Baron Corbin against Akira Tozawa. Uh, Tozawa was screaming "cheater" at JBL, which wasn't Corbin the cheater in the game. I mean, they they were both cheating. You know, cooperatively cheating. Is JBL just guilty by association? I mean, he might have been playing honorably. I think I think JBL was covering for Corbin. I think he's just as guilty. Tozawa hit a crazy suicide dive, then goes for another, and Corbin sends him into the barricade. There's a pop-up into a Rana by Tozawa. He hits a Shining Wizard and then gets caught coming off the top into end of days in three minutes and 34 seconds. Um, this is the most athletic match I've seen Akira Tozawa in on Raw in uh, in years. 
Yeah, this was the first sort of like serious match he's had ever since like debuting this 24-7 ninja thing. Um, So in that sense, it was kind of refreshing, but ultimately it was just a a, a showcase for Baron Corbin here in uh, four minutes time. So I don't know. What do you see for Akira Tozawa? Nothing. Nothing. I hope he just drops the the ninja get up, you know? What's up with this thing? Like, it's why is he still holding on to it? I mean, clearly, like, he's got a personality. Like, he's kind of funny in these sort of backstage environments. But, man, like, is does it fit the current, like, Paula Beck WWE? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, this doesn't fit <laughs> anything. This is, like... Um, well, it's also got Dexter Loomis and, like, you know, all this other shit. So, maybe there's a role. They recap the I quit match where Edge quit when they uh, when uh, the Judgment Day threatened Beth Phoenix and then delivered the concerto, uh, which is probably a good update. Like it's been like five weeks since they did this angle that, yeah. you know, just to show it and remind people about this, because this this angle was this was a big angle when they did it. But it hasn't been referenced like Beth wore or sorry, uh, Ripley wore that armband the next night. Uh, but there's been no reference to it since. So this would suggest that they're probably ready to. Um, reintroduce this. We've also got uh, somebody in the chat room here. South Newton suggests it will be Becky, Candice, or maybe Beth uh, for war games. We should say. Um, and and we never really considered Beth. You know, could she be the fifth person to oppose um the heel side, including Rhea Ripley at war games? Yeah, you could. I does it take away from the media? I, I wouldn't want to go to the match already with. I, I mean, yeah, you can do Beth and Rhea at a, at a future date, but I I think you build up to that. I don't know. I, I don't like the idea of her just coming back as a as a surprise. Um, hmm. uh, but they, they aired this tonight, so you have to throw that option out there. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Kathy Kelly is with Bianca Belair, Oscar, Alexa, and Michin, and. One member from each team will face off next week to determine who has the numbers advantage at war games. That's the message. Then Gable and Otis walk in to brag about their win over Riddle and Rollins strolls by humming shush. Yeah, I thought they were like building up to something, but I think this is just one of their ways of like blending the segments together because Rollins was on his way out for his match. Yeah. Yeah. Belair, Oscar and Bliss, they really had um, quite the night. Pretty taxing. What do you mean? I mean, they they basically, like, Bliss and Asuka just, like, walked on screen. They never talked. They were just, like, there as bodies, as stand-ins uh, for these segments. Like, that was their, their role all night long. Well, I guess in a War Games um, team, I mean, does it, you know, they don't, nobody, maybe, uh, Maybe they're just, you know, there for uh, some moral support. Maybe they did some WWE.com interviews. I don't know. Not yeah. sure. Okay. Well, you can't have a speaking role for every single person. Every single. I'm just. Time. Saying, I'm just saying. Like they were just there. It was just like it was a very like. You're gonna have days like that, I guess. And then Balor is with Saxton. He accepts AJ Styles' challenge for the Survivor Series. So just just a singles match that they're doing between the OC and the Judgment Day after but introducing be... all the like these numbers and stuff, and we're like we're going to two singles, or, well, well, a singles uh, match, and the women in the war games. That's Survivor Series, but they'll all be ringside. Like uh, at least they're, they're on the graphic, um, except maybe for the women because you know they're in the war games match. But I, I'm sure that you'll be you know getting your big intergender mix up or trios match later on. Seth Rollins and Finn Balor U.S. title in the uh, final match of the night. Um, they went over 21 minutes. 
Um, some of the highlights here. Uh, Balor lifted up Rollins for the powerbomb into the barricade, which was the SummerSlam spot, the other way around that Balor took, which uh, led to uh, his injury. The coup de grace then misses, and then Rollins tries for a stomp. A pedigree gets blocked, and it ends with a sit-out powerbomb by Rollins. He goes for the Phoenix Splash, doesn't connect, and Balor catches him with the shotgun dropkick and a 1916. The Judgment Day make their way down, but they are followed by the OC and Mia Yim, as Corey Graves yells. And Yim starts fighting with Rhea Ripley. Priest pounces Anderson onto the desk. And then AJ appears, shoving Balor off the top, stopping Coup de Grasse, And the stomp is delivered. And Rollins wins in 21 minutes and 10 seconds. After the match, Austin Theory returns once again, jumping Rollins. Two A-Town downs. And then a belt shot as the show goes off the air with Austin Theory holding up the United States title, the most prestigious title outside of Roman Reigns' belt, which is unattainable. Listen, you tell us that long enough, and I think the audience will start to believe it. You know, I, I, you, I you love need to fact. be doing that. You like you're starting from a place where the audience doesn't take this belt as seriously, and they've put it on a serious guy, and mm-hmm. they're they're tr- and it's not going to happen overnight. You've got to condition people. I like just the idea of like. The whole show was building to the U.S. title match, and they've done that several times now. It's it's going to take a lot of work when you've had two decades of this title feeling like it's mid-card nothing. Uh, it's going to take a long time for people to value this title as, as something meaningful. Agreed, yeah. I mean, they're doing the same on SmackDown by having an entire tournament dedicated to finding Gunther's next challenger. And I think with the champion as strong as Gunther and the matches that he's been having, they're certainly maybe even a bit more, you know, um, along the path than they are on raw. But I mean, it's Seth Rollins. You really cannot find a better person to, you know, build a, a division essentially and, and, and a championship around than that guy. So, um, Beyond Rollins, I mean, great match, first of all. You know, really good TV main event. Had a sort of almost special pay-per-view feel to it because of how top-tier Balor and Rollins are. And the combination of the two of them, like historically, um, with the two of them really being mirror images, I think, you know, you you don't expect anything less than um, the best, you know, when it comes to to those matches. Um, The ending kind of puts all your pieces into place, setting up Balor versus AJ and also OC versus JD. But then um, Austin Theory to close the show again. You know, this was very much a show centered around making sure that he's not a joke, you know, by the end of of tonight. Um, All the people may be laughing at him, making fun of him, calling him, you know, the worst cash in of all time last week. This was really a show made to try to solve all that by having him be ultra serious, a lot more serious than we've ever seen him. And I think they did a really great job. So it could, you know, are they doing a good enough job with, you know, theory here that you could see a title change? Uh, Is would it be too soon for a title change here? John, what do you think? I think it would. I would. I really like Rollins in this role. He's only just got the belt. Um, so that would be my only question coming out of this is putting Theory in a position where you're, you're either do, you almost are backed into a corner where this guy failing again. I really don't like that. I think at mm-hmm. that point, it's like you get this chance that he hit hits rock bottom and then comes out as a renewed character. And if his first step is a, another failure, I think you're, you're almost in a corner where you've got to do a title change at that point, or you really risk just um, this guy in theory being sort of divested in. 
Agreed. Agreed. I feel like Seth is just like even barely started in this babyface run and, and, and is sort of like, you know, the brand champion with the U.S. championship that I I hope he gets a really long run with it. So I'm, I'm also a little surprised they're going to Austin Theory so soon. Um, and because, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think Austin Theory can afford another loss. So, like, where do you go in, in that scenario? Yeah, I mean, I I think outside of just they have like such a killer match that he gets over and losing like that would be mm. your best bet. And and you're paired with the guy that can get that out of you. So, mm. um, you know, th- there's ways around it. But I really like Seth in this role and it's just started. So um, that that would be my preference. Um, Is that a Survivor Series match or do you, do you think they keep that on Raw? I mean, I would, I would think you would expect us to be on on Survivor Series, Gunther but it feels like a pretty much like SmackDown exclusive sort of like defender, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess I would imagine it on, on Survivor Series, but they've also like saved some of these, you know, secondary title matches for for television as well. So mm-hmm. they they could do it that way too. Uh, I, I would say tonight's Raw, I would say I like what they did with Austin Theory uh, mm-hmm. throughout the show. That was um, a pleasant surprise that they had on the show. The next uh, Okada. It's the, the Rainmaker is here. Um, I thought between the main event, uh, Riddle and Gable, and then the Theory-Ziggler match, I, I thought those were three quality matches that you got on the show. There was a lot of filler on this show, too, and some matches that were total throwaway. Mm-hmm. Um, but again... Um, a good um, ninety-minute show stretched into three hours, as is usually the case. You know, when it comes to a show that's this long, yeah, the Tazawa Corbin thing to me felt really pointless. Other than to maybe drag the show out a little bit longer, um, you're going to get a lot of that. And you know, for the most part, they, you know, you Raw had a lot of matches that were relatively inconsequential, but I mean, were good in ring. You know, which is probably the most we can expect from a three-hour show with so much to build to. Uh, to me, the big takeaway was the Austin Theory stuff. I think they continue to do a great job with uh, pushing Seth Rollins as you know a brand champion, and uh, the Miz was kind of funny in his uh, storyline that I hope ends um, very soon. Well, we know the end's coming, so maybe that's the like we're we're bumping that up maybe more than it deserves. Uh, so there you have it, the KFC Yum Center. Got to got to see a classic tonight. Was it Yum? No, no, it wasn't Yum. <laughs> it wasn't. It was a. Uh, it was a do- the double down. That that's what it was. Yeah. It was a double down. It's wow. a, it's a bad choice, nice. and you'll pay for it later. But you're you're not thinking long term. All right. Okay. Let's go to some super chats here in our feedback section. Uh, again, if you're watching us live, if you want to support the channel and get your thoughts heard immediately after we're done our reviews, you can always send us a super chant. Chat a super chat chant. What would that sound like? It's a super uh, chant. Um. What about a? This is this was awesome, <laughs> which they no. did get, and Kevin Patrick confirmed this is awesome. Yes. All right, <laughs> let's go first to Jake from the Windy City, uh, who sends two dollars to say, "Looks like we found our worst promotion of 2022." He sent this during our NWA conversation. Um, if you had to pick right now, would would they be a candidate? <laughs> would, would they, they be, be the choice? Um, I think a lot of people would be voting for the NWA. I'll, I'll tell you, like when it when it comes to like. Worst promotion. I, I think it's like it's hard because there's a lot of like great stuff. Like even if you're not um, like I'm I, I, there's not too many companies where it's like, man, it's like they're just totally. I, 
I don't know if this qualifies, but I mean, I, as bad as I feel like the NWA sounds right now, at least the shows are going through, which is more than I can say for the authors of pain, uh, whatever they were trying to put on. Oh, the one-off show that never happened. Yeah. I mean, that on a business level was a disaster. So you're right. The NWA is ahead there. Um, a lot of negative sentiment and probably some of it, um, I, I mean, it's, you know, especially for audiences that, paid for the show and it just seems like there has been negativity coming out of the last two pay-per-views and it's also so public right now of this kind of disagreement of the direction of this company and where it's going of billy corgan versus nick aldis and and it's not even theoretical like we got to see sort of like you know nick aldis's like you know what his preferred vision was which to be fair corgan was involved from the get-go with all of that but that was at a time when like the nwa was starting to at least gain some following they were not going to be you know number two in this country but it seemed as though they were you know the, the stuff with cody that they did it was like at a time where it was gaining some traction certainly yeah Honestly, though, at, at this point, like, it's never seemed to me like it was any sort of, like, I I, I do, I, I, I mean, I have no idea about this, but, like, I, I do wonder, like, if, if the company is turning any sort of profit or if, you know, it, it, it I, I don't know how they, I don't know how they could be way, like, what, yeah, like, where like, are these, like, where is that revenue? Exactly. And, and so if you're Billy Corgan, like, what's keeping you from keeping this thing alive? It's a passion part project. I mean, that's that's what this is. And, you know, God bless it. You know, people are getting paid to do these shows and it's it's more work for people. And if you're Billy Corgan and you're looking at it and this is, you know, in his belief, perhaps he saw like there was only a ceiling of the way we were doing things. And he's going to try different things to find an audience out there rather than just blend in with everyone else where we can't compete at that level. We don't. For whatever reason, they don't feel that they can. But I just think that you're going about it in in a way that, it, it, to me, it's it, it's a promotion that does not have its finger on the pulse of the audience. And it seems as though the most artist this, fans this that w- well, this is the audience to me that would be the base that would be willing to watch your product. And you're yeah. stating we're not interested in just regular wrestling fan we want non-fans we want people that let's be honest they're never going to find us and Mm. it's just it's it's something that it's not exclusive to billy corgan but it's something i hear so much about finding these casual fans that it's like we want to aim a product at people that are never going to watch this it would be like you know pick pick your franchise okay star wars okay it would be like somebody trying to cater star wars for me and not thinking of you way like i'm not going to watch it no matter what, what will it you take do. for you to watch star wars i don't know like yoda is max verstappen okay i don't know <laughs> like like maybe i'm going to go tell somebody about this and someone's like dude mike my cousin john pollock was talking about this like people are talking about max verstappen being cast as yoda this is big like we're all in the bubble. Like my, my cousins heard about this and I might watch it because it's so stupid, but I'm never going to be a fan of this. I'm never going to invest in this franchise. I'm never going to watch all the movies. I'm going to watch it at most out of a 
borderline curiosity that I have no investment in and I will never think of once I'm done it. And it just seems like there's an obsession to find like people that have really no interest in wrestling, but it's this this elusive goal of ours to reach this unreachable audience that are not fans and to do it to such an extent that we are just ain't, like actively working against the audience that is most receptible to spend money on wrestling like that that's not of interest to us i think if you ask most f1 fans they'd say um max turned to the dark side this past weekend i know i did not see the race but i did see all the fallout afterwards i mean my god this is uh I love the controversy. I'm I'm really looking forward to the next season of Drive to Survive. I mean, yeah. so for people who essentially missed it, in a nutshell, you know, um, F1 has two drivers per team, and oftentimes the the driver that is sort of leading in the overall uh, rankings will be favored to win a race, even if you know two cars are side by side, even if the other person is ahead. So. They call it driver's orders. And this week it was uh, sort of like driver's orders for Max Verstappen to give the spot to his teammate, Checo, um, because Checo was trying to aim for number two. Max had already won the championship uh, and Max denied driver's orders. And it goes a lot deeper than that. You know, Max uh, seemingly suggesting that it's a retaliation for something that Checo did in the past, but nonetheless, like just one of several stories coming off of this past weekend, which was drama filled and very exciting race. Would you let me pass at the end if you had already locked up the championship? Well, it depends if you intentionally crashed your car in Monaco, if I thought that. Uh, What if I accidentally did, but you think it was intentional? I would, I would, I would let you have fifth place, John. Yeah. Sixth. the guy is like untouchable. Like it's, I know. Uh, he's already won. Yeah, it's petty. Just, just seems very petty. All right. All right. Uh, let's go to Rob McDonald who sends a $2 super chat. Thank you so much for the support, Rob. He says Austin versus Randy Orton would be his choice. If Steve Austin were to come back at WrestleMania, is that a viability for you? Can, could I see them making that match? Yes. Would it be at the top of my list? No. Yeah, in terms of mainstream appeal, like a lot of people know who Randy Orton is. He's the RKO guy. Uh, he's popular enough. And I think like he's safe enough for Austin. Is he going to get Austin to that level of match that I think he's looking for? You know, like did The Undertaker ever choose Randy Orton? Um, he chose AJ Styles, you know, to have his last match with. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if I see that. I don't know if I see Austin picking him. But I guess, you know, Stunner versus RKO would be like, you know, quite the way to build it. They'll get, fi- they'll get Phil on the phone. Huh? Who? Call up, call up old uh, Cupcake Phil. Oh, oh, that would be a dream match. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cupcake Phil. Yeah. PM uh, train. Well, how, how, would, how, how would that go if, they, if they, they said, okay, you can come back, you get to work Austin, you headline WrestleMania, and then you got to do Saudi Arabia. That's the deal, punk. Fuck. I think he'd say no. I mean, I, I don't know, dude. At this point, it's hard for me to say like what CM Punk would or wouldn't do. But God, that would be quite quite the match. And But yeah, I don't see them throwing CM Punk that bone. I think Punk coming back alone, like eventually, if that were to ever happen, would be a big enough attraction. You know? Anyway. Uh, he might physically not be able by that point. Like, it, it maybe- Oh, yeah. Let's I mean, stop the speculation right there. You know, let's just let's not get anybody's hopes up here. 
but it could happen. Sure. We got a PM train who sends $2 to say the power slap report coming soon. Will you be covering power slap or will no. anybody on the, on the site be? No, um, probably not. I, I, I will watch the first episode. I'm, I, I, I want to see like the first episode, but at, dedicating coverage to it. No, I, I cannot fathom. I think uh, we'll, we'll probably get a, you know, bantery conversation like you got today. Yeah. I, I like part of it is like, I don't even know if there's going to be. Like, do you think, like, for the first week, there will be attention? I yeah. think by default, all the MMA sites are going to cover this stuff. We're talking um, about this way more than I ever expected, you know? And for that reason, I, I feel like other people might be as well. Like, if it's a disaster, people will be talking about it. Um, well, there's once they announce TBS, it's like, it's, it, it very much is, it becomes a potential, like, AEW, like, tie-in as oh, well. Oh, for sure. So, I guarantee I mean, you there will be synergy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if, if it works, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it obviously tells you like what kind of stuff TBS is also looking for. Like if, if this well, is who's some... the first AEW wrestler to show up in power slap. I mean, we, we were joking about Sammy, but like, can you see that happening? You know, Kenta. Then... who Kenta comes over? Oh, okay. Um, he be, he's quite the slapper. Can he take it though? Yeah, I would. I wouldn't want him to be taking it. Who would do well in power slap to the head in AEW? Um, in AEW, um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Uh, it's gonna be one that uh, that the, that comes to mind. All right, let's keep going. Okay, all right. Uh, finally, we got a Timu Timu who sends five euros just to say, if you got everything ever you wanted, would you ever give that back? No, nothing. Nothing. Sorry. I, I... <laughs> it's Uncle Cracker, dude. Oh. Or my attempt. He says, how, happy. How did you figure that out? I would not have, like, put that together with this quote. I would have written, I would have read this as, like, a serious question and not had an answer. That line is just driven into the depths of my soul. He, Timu says, happy five. Wanted to celebrate it with a classic meme from the past. Thank you. Thank you, Timu. Work, okay. Worked on oh, me. He, he did actually uh, call it out there. So thank you very much, Timu. All right. Uh, Muggin writes in. Louisville had considerably more life than Wilkes-Barre last, uh, last week. A solid show that moved War Games forward with the women's five on five getting two additions in Ripley and Mia Yim. Um, okay. This is, uh, just kind of recapping the show. Austin Theory got some image rehab and it could bode well for him. Rollins and Balor never have a bad match together and flipping their alignments freshened it up. With Owen suffering an MCL sprain over the weekend, I, I think Seth being in the War Games match isn't the worst idea. It'll heighten the drama with him and Roman in the same match. The Wyatt 6 logo flashed on screen twice when Alexa was doing a backstage bit at Crown Jewel and on Raw the following night. I bet she'll get removed somehow and it could lead to either Candace or Becky taking her spot. Um, Alexa would seem like that, that is an easy way to remove her if, if you mm -hmm. wanted to. Um, and, and prob probably a decent possibility of that happening. I, I just know that in Boston, like this crowd will be cheering huge for both Sasha and Naomi. I mean, it's predominantly Sasha. So they're going to have to come up with some way to like make sure definitively they aren't going like to tell people th that they're definitive, definitively not showing up. Um, or maybe not. Maybe they won't. Maybe they won't cheer. I don't know. Okay. I mean, they, they did do a pay-per-view last year built around The Rock's anniversary without The Rock on the show. Remember that at the Survivor Series? Um, With the yeah. golden egg? Oh, hey, Jesus. That was a yeah. year ago, dude. We had last year's Survivor Series built around a golden egg, and this year it's War Games. Like, if that does not paint your change, 
I don't know what does from one year to the next of what Survivor Series was. The Golden Egg seemed to be something that um, Stephanie seemed to be quite proud of celebrating along with the zombies, you know, as, as examples of great. I'm sure they made a ton off that that rock movie on Netflix. So, I mean, uh, financially, I'm sure that was a big hit. Um, we had to endure it, though. So, all right. That's going to wrap up the show. Thank you, everybody, for joining us Tuesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern time. It is MCU later reviewing Wakanda forever. So should I listen to the podcast after I watch the movie or before? After, please, Sean. You know, are you are you still planning on going out to watch? I am. I am. I don't know when, but I will. I am going to see it. Okay. not not that I I feel like you would care about spoilers, but I I still think you, you should, you know, watch it first and then listen. Okay. Um, I was very careful with the image I chose for the schedule. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I wonder. Was it okay? It was perfect. Yeah. I mean, it was nothing. Like, it was just like the logo, which is great. I'm trying to think what what image you were considering now. Hmm. No, I I didn't have another one, but I. Whenever I have to use an image for one of these Marvel movies, I now have to, like, what could I possibly be taking here after my Spider Man uh, disaster last year? Yeah, that's right. I was like, ah. Who cares? He's All right. Trying, he's trying so hard, everybody. Please cut him some slack. Yeah. Well, that's it. Wednesday, we're back with Rewind to Dynamite. We have said it all. Good night, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Rewind to Raw. This Saturday, post wrestling turns five years old. My name is Sean, and I'm from Kansas. The progress that you have made throughout your careers and how you took a little one hour show that was after the law and have turned it into this five-year empire. You deserve every nice thing and every accolade that every person is going to send you. This is Warren Bernier from Washington State. I've had a lot of ups and downs over the years since you guys started doing what you're doing, and I've been listening ever since Ground Zero. And I just wanted to say thank you to you guys. You have no idea how many times you guys have made my day better and you've made me laugh when I wasn't laughing at anything else in my life. You guys feel like a part of the family to me. Thank you for being two very, very positive voices in a very negative world. It's the post-wrestling five-year anniversary show presented by Real Digital going down this Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern time at QXT's nightclub at 248 Mulberry Street in Newark, New Jersey. Tickets available at postwrestling.com slash live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 